you thinking not locking the door? I thought I had locked it. it, it that catch is dead fiddly, you know. And what's this about you smoking? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, I gave up ages ago, but sometimes I, I like to sneak a crafty one on the cars. He takes me back to me navy days. Anyway, how about I make us a full English? My way of saying thank you for letting me crash last night. In the circumstances, perhaps now is not the best time. Oh, no, no. Look, look come on, I'll, um, I'll throw some kecks on and then I'll rustle us up a treat. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 205 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catch-Up podcast that notes if Ben was around to provide admissible observations during legal proceedings in real life, this fucking Johnny Depp and Amber Heard shite would have been done ages ago. I'm Gavin. I can't believe you mentioned that. Did, I wasn't going to, but... Because if ever there was a situation where everybody sucks here and one thing does not necessarily negate the other... Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, ben would have helped, though. Ben would have made it worse. <laughs> and you just... And I have diabetes. There you go. Here we go. Happy diabetes. Yes. On Mothering Sunday weekend as well. Yes. In so, the US. Summer and I will be attending <laughs> diabetes camp together. Are you going to Oxford as well? You better get that revision done. Yeah. You better step up that revision. Revising, revising, revising. <laughs> you said to me, does this mean we can't make fun of Summer anymore? And I said... Of course, we can still make fun of Summer because I'm not constantly revising things. There are things I should be constantly revising and, and turning in and stuff, like, you know, my novel to agents. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember Maybe. you uh, giving me a hard time for not getting my notes back to you. And I said, I'll get, you, get them back to you by the end of the year last year. And I did. Yes. And I... And welcome, I welcome to me. And I did, and I did all of my revisions, and then I panicked and started to have uh, imposter syndrome, and just never sent things out because I'm a fiert. Well, at least you're diabetic now. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. It, it's funny because uh, what's the doctor's called, and and the doctor's office called and told me, I was like, all right, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. that. That explains an awful lot. Right. <laughs> and even Benning, when I told him, he's like, yeah, that makes sense. He said that? <laughs> yes. He's like, he nothing. <laughs> he's like, that makes sense for why, you know, you're sick all the time without being like really, <coughs> as I cough myself to death, sick. And, and he's right. So goodbye, half and half. Hello, oatmeal creamer. Goodbye, white flour and white rice. Hello, whole grains <sighs> which is fine i <laughs> mean these fine. are things that you know with somebody with a wonky colon i should be doing anyway a semicolon if you will yes <laughs> oh that's why people tune in <laughs> and it already cut out soda so that's a big sugar content right there yeah goodbye to peanut butter cups though oh no more then that's my go-to get you something nice for them out <laughs> I'm going to need to get a new, get you something nice when I'm out. That or cinnamon buns. 
and I can't have either anymore. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> You're really going to have to up your game in, in good husband. You know, I thought that was a big deal for us to stop drinking. <laughs> but you giving up the Reese's Pieces and the cinnamon bongs. That's, that's not nothing. Well, at least now you'll always get a Danish when you want one. <laughs> right. How are you doing? I'm all right. How was your week? It was all right. Are you excited for the new Doctor Strange movie? I am not at all <laughs> excited for that. But I do wish to take a moment to say a happy Mother's Day to all our American and Canadian mothers out there. Do Canadian Mother's Day have the same Mother's Day as... I think we could just say happy Mother's... Happy, we, happy Mother's to all mothers because we didn't say it on a Mothering Sunday back in March. We didn't. So yeah, I, think sh- we can, I think we can include... British mothers, and also mothers in countries that don't have a Mother's Day at all, which is the majority of the world. Is it really? Probably. (laughs) One of those facts that's a probable (laughs) fact. You you don't really hear about Mother's Day in Kazakhstan, do you? You don't really hear about anything in Kazakhstan. More's the shame. Mm -hmm. My wife. (laughs) Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that. I don't know, diabetic Cory News. Simon O'Brien, former actor in Brookside, is set to join the cast as a love interest for one and possibly secret family friend of another. Is that who that was? Ooh. I saw his photograph. Uh huh. And I said, I recognise that guy. Yeah. Such was my level of curiosity that I couldn't even bother clicking on the article to find it more. So that makes an awful lot of sense now. So, Spider may not be the only blast from the past, as Todd Boyce will be returning as Audrey's son, Stephen. Hopefully, he'll explain why he missed so many funerals and weddings in his 15-year absence. He was in Canada. I don't really remember Stephen at all. So this is going to be... Well, it was 15 years ago. New to me. I mean... Completely new to me. I, I remember... I remember lots from classic Cory where I didn't even I didn't even I didn't even know Coronation Street was a thing fifteen years ago. That was worth interrupting my sentence for. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. In the classic Cory time, Stephen is always the Canadian thing that the Platts threatened to go to. (laughs) So Nick wanted to Nick did leave and go to Canada and spend time with Stephen. But then the whole Platt family were going to leave when Sarah got pregnant with Bethany. Right, and then um, Sarah, when when Stephen was in Italy, Sarah went and spent time with him and worked for him there. He was initially supposed to be David, but because David was a tit, he chose Sarah instead. That's right, she and, was in the fashion in Milan. And then they convinced Gail to go to Italy or Canada, wherever he was at the time, to visit him when they were trying to get rid of that body under the house. So you so you do know about him. <laughs> well, just from just from research from yesterday. Right. Because I am a professional. <laughs> Finally, following the death of David Johnson, who founded the Oldham Theatre Workshop, many soap stars paid tribute as he had helped launch their careers. This included Anthony Cotton and Samia Longchaman. Anthony said he put so many of us on the map, I'm absolutely gutted. Well Samia replied the end of an era. He really was the best. Alison King also put out a statement calling Johnson my hero, my maker of all things that I am. So it seems like he was 
very important in a lot of people's lives early on in their careers. Right. Sad news. Sad news. Sad news. And that's Corey News. And now we'll podcast for coffee. You need to watch those stretches, by the way. I stretched a couple of days ago and I think I've torn a ligament. (laughs) (laughs) It's better today, but by God, it's been so for a couple of days. Just behind my knee. Is that my cruciate? Sure. From stretching. It's like that time I put my neck out by checking my blind spot. You will be 50 next year. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're drinking our own coffees this week. I'm drinking my coffee in my... Uh, banner head talk of the street mug but with oat milk for the first time oat ever oat milk creamer mm. it's, it's very sweet yeah sweeter than I think I might I might try some almond milk creamer or some coconut milk creamer yeah it's, it's I only put a tiny little splash in it and it's you like sweet though not as sweet as that it's sucking the teeth out my gums it's <laughs> super sweet so yeah, so we're drinking our own coffees this week, but if you want to buy us next week's coffees, if you think any of this, not anything up to now right enough, but any of this <laughs> is worth anything, you can jump onto ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street, and you can buy us next week's coffees, and we will be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yes. And now, it's Helen's favourite section, YouTube's. This is a section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. We broke through 700 subscribers this week. I think we're currently at maybe 7.30 or something like that. So my target for 1,000 subscribers and half a million views by the end of the month, just a little bit behind schedule on both of them. Mm -hmm. It's It's still possible, but it's likely to be maybe early June before any of that happens. Mm. So on our YouTube channel this week, there's our regular stuff. There's last week's podcast. There's last night's Corey and under four minutes and my three favourite clips from this week's episodes. And the extra content this week is another in the Corey Life Story series. This week, it's a loving stroll through the life and loves of one Desmond Des Barnes, who went on to allegedly sell aircraft to Ghana in real life. So that's fun, isn't it, Helen? If that, sure. t- if that tickles your fancy, head over to youtube.com slash the talk of street podcast, smash that subscribe button and feed the garbage disposal with the dismembered body parts of that notification bell. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the Weatherfield Spartans. Weatherfield Spartans. Go green. Go white. So, was this when uh, um, Tyrone first wore his MSU t-shirt? That's right. This was Roy describing the Spartan origins of the stag do to Kev ahead of his what would become postponed wedding to Abby. The Weatherfield Spartans. Marriage was doomed from the start Right Anyway, I was Gavin and you had scheduled your first haircut in over a year Mm -hmm. You were talking about scheduling some tattoo time And it was the Rosie the Riveter Princess Leia one that you were mentioning Yes, which I am getting on June 1st Very excited So it's only taking you Your chips fell (laughs) 
speaking of things that I can no longer eat. Story of my life. That's a, that's a metaphor for ASMR. So you're getting you're getting your tattoo at the start of June. Mm-hmm. I think I've finally decided what I'm going to get next. What are you getting next? I am getting the cover of the best of Radiohead, <clears throat> which is the two. Uh, is that the that's... two stick figures handshaking? Oh, okay. And I thought it was going to be that uh, interstate in the no. interstate in Connecticut. And below it, the words "Hey man, slow down." Mm. And I'm going to get it there. And I might phone and get an appointment before you. <clears throat> well, not with my girl. No. Oh, no, not with your girl. No. I'm going to get a man to do my man's tattoo. <laughs> I require a man. <laughs> you man, tattoo me. Because my girl is so good that, you know, you have to kind of book in advance and she only takes people whose ideas she likes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that. A woman do my coordinates tattoo. Yes, I haven't had a woman so tattoo me yet. I don't really yet, mind so one way or the other. I was really me- merely joking. Yeah, one of the problems, one of the reasons why it's taken so long. <laughs> we're a tattoo part of podcast now. One of the reasons why it took so long is that everyone and their brother were 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 desperately waiting because no because none of us were able to get our twenty twenty tattoo. So everybody was trying to get their twenty twenty tattoo as well as their twenty twenty one tattoo. So it was really difficult to, you know, I'd called a few places before I booked this one. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, we'll give you a call and then never called. Or told oh, that's me, right. I remember that. Yeah, or told me that. to call them. I called them and they never called back. Mm. So and since then, some of those tattoo artists I've seen on Facebook saying, yeah, that they're like booked six months in advance. Wow. So. Everybody yeah, no out these days. Yeah, everybody out getting their tattoos. It's very exciting. It's an ex- what a time to be alive. Yeah, I'm excited again about this now that I've decided finally what to get. Because I was thinking about again, extending this conversation <laughs> about, about tattoos, getting a, a little band round here uh-huh. of something, but I wasn't sure. Because getting a tartan or something around there isn't a really great idea because over time the, the ink kind of blends a little bit because that isn't as sharp as it was when I first got it. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway. Anyway. Where were we? <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 200. <clears throat> we talked a lot about Clay Aitken and Ruben Studdard. <laughs> Avi is worried that the universe has it in for her wedding with Kev minus a best man, Sally minus her voice and the venue minus a roof. Nick she attempts- wasn't wrong. She should have started running in the opposite direction right then and there. Nick attempts to wake up for all that mobile phone nonsense last week by staying up only under the guise of making sure nothing gangster related happened. Everyone's least favourite new friend, Eli, has stolen a, stolen a car and takes a young crew for a spin with a few cans to the industrial park. Nina and Seb are out for an evening stroll when they bump into a drunken gang looking for trouble. Alina gets between Tyrone and his sandwich. Dev buys an accidental reindeer. There's something about Debbie. And Roy prattles. Our moment of the week was Seb giving Abby the necklace for our wedding. And our boring moment of the week was Tyrone and Alina getting their hole. And that was Coronation Street. And a talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now I should point out that this week's summary does contain a Kev on his wedding day joke. <laughs> is that our is that our listener advisory warning right there? Yeah. If you've been affected by this Kev on his wedding day joke. I still don't understand why there was an advisory for last night's episode. I don't get it. <sighs> Lots of people shouting. 
Is that it? Kind of triggering a little it, bit. It's it's a soap opera. People shout. I saw some people say that they were uh, affected by the Abbey storyline. Yeah. No, and I totally get that. But I mean, last week we had... Oh, blood pushing out of a leg. Yes. Right, yes. And a leg pushing down upon a pane of glass. Before the blood right. pushed out of Right, and then yeah. a child like practically white and dead. Mm-hmm. And a leather jacket being ruined by lots and lots of blood. It was Max, though. <laughs> and also, Simon was there. Our first storyline this week. I'm not falling for it anymore. Is our last storyline this week. So <laughs> we jump straight into Max Legroom. <laughs> See, and it, it was that title last week and didn't, didn't get that kind of laugh. No, I think I laughed. I'll, I'll take them. I'll take a laugh. It's fine. Have I'll, I shown you my new, or not new, have I shown you the Max Headroom calculator? No, you haven't. On Monday, at Nina's roles, Nina, Amy and Simon are chatting about Max winding up in hospital. Amy wants him to get better, but just so that he can face justice. Yes. That's my girl, says Steve, who sneaks in just to say that. At the hospital, David and Sean are still waiting on news on Max. Then, lo and behold, the consultant comes out to let them know that the surgery was a success and Max is stable. Stable? <sighs> Not mentally stable. No. Finally, David and Shona get to see Max, who says that he's sorry. I'm the one who should be sorry, says David. No! <laughs> no, <laughs> you shouldn't! I knew you were going to Shut that. up! Oh, God, this is just... It's never going to end, is it? I've handled the Daniel thing terribly, and none of this is your fault, says Yes, David. it is! It's all Max's fault! Ma- Max reveals that he was scared that he was going to go to prison, so that's why he was running away. You should go to prison! You're a bad person! David seems to think that this is unlikely now. Yeah, the, the, the justice system doesn't care that you almost died while running away from court right. and missing your court date because you were trying to run away from court. But even if he does go to jail, he'll still have his family behind him. Back in Ina's role, Shona has called because to let... they've all been there before. <laughs> Back in Ina's roles, then the ghost of Johnny will be there to keep him company. <laughs> and Johnny's cat. The ghost of Johnny's imaginary cat. <laughs> yes. Oh, wee sweetie. Back in Ina's roles, Shona has called to let everyone know that Max is going to be fine. Well, thank fuck for that, says Simon. Apparently, he's agreed to plead guilty, which we don't get to see them... Or here. ...talking yeah. about that. He's still a scumbag, says Steve. Yeah, and this is true. Amy points out that sometimes, particularly if your name is Jacob, you deserve a second chance, though. Back home, Gail gets thrown into David for being a pussy with Max. David is trying the love and understanding approach, but Gail doesn't think this is going to help anyone, and she has experience in this field. David reminds her that she did a terrible job. Gail <laughs> thinks it's ridiculous that David thinks that Max's issues are David's fault. I think she's team Helen on this. So Steve gets home with a chippy tea for everyone, including Amy and Jacob, who's, who he's invited round. Yes. Tracy is a gog. Steve thinks getting to know Jacob is the right thing to do, so they decide to play charades. Tracy. Or charades. Charades. Or give us a clue. Um, at least it wasn't Pictionary. Yeah, Tracy this week seems to have had a complete and utter memory wipe about a lot of people. Yep. <laughs> They've hit the They've hit the factory, reset button on the Tracy's reset back. On Tracy, yeah. Ay ay ay. Steve does platoon, but not like that. And that's enough for Jacob to guess it and for Jacob and Amy to leave. Steve tells Tracy that after everything Amy's been through, she deserves some happiness. Oh, says Tracy. He gets it he gets it from Sounds Like Balloon. Sounds like Balloon. Because, platoon! Because he was doing the whole on your hands and knees with the Right. The 
arms up. Right, which we're both doing right now. What you do, right. What you don't realise... You don't. ...is the the scene where he gets killed. Right. Because you think it's, it's arms are up kind of in victory, almost in the cover. So when you see him getting shot in the movie, spoiler alert, yeah, I found that quite shocking. Is, it, is that the Matthew Modine character? I can't remember who it is. Yeah, I think so. It's it's a it's a it's a Christ symbolism there with the arms outstretched. So oh, no, you, they're not you, outstretched; they're up. Right, but they're they're outstretched, and they're whenever you see anybody doing this in a movie, you know they're going to die and become a martyr in some way, or even if they're just laying on the floor like this. Movie movie makers use Christ symbolism far, far too much in movies, honestly. Do you know they who that was worst? The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> On Wednesday, in Nina's roles, David tries to apologise to Amy, who is singularly unimpressed and tells him to shove his apology up his dickhole. <laughs> right! <laughs> right up, up his, his dickhole! Dick then he gets a call from the school demanding his immediate presence. It's a great morning for David. Yeah, I loved I loved that bit with Amy because she's she's like she's not a single fuck together about that. She's not giving him any leeway. She's like, you sat with me in that park. She reminds him Mm -hmm. and talked to me about your situation. Yep, and you know, and everything, and that you knew exactly what I was going through. And then because it was your kid, Mm -hmm. you chose him over me. Yep, fuck yourself. Right. Back home, we learn that Max has been expelled, a fact that is unlikely to do him any favours at his sentencing, whenever that is. Right, Max but of is... course he's been expelled. He drugged someone on school property. Mm-hmm. It, this shouldn't be a surprise to David at all. No. Max is still in the dark. He used to be such a nice little boy, says Gail. What went wrong? Well... Puberty. And he got a new head. David goes to the hospital and gives Max the bad news. Max thinks that he can talk his way out of it like he did last time, but David <laughs> thinks that the game is up and it's time for Max to suck it up like a big boy. And that's as far as we get with that this week. That yeah. was quite a, a damning way to end that story with Max thinking that he can still get away with this somehow. Right, yeah. And that's the only thing that David should take blame for because it's because David and Shona let him get away with it in the first place with but- only a, you know, don't do it again. But if I pretend that I'm sorry, like I did last time, that worked, I might get away with it. He says this out loud to David. Right, yeah. Who isn't as shocked as he really needs to be by that, because that's kind of sociopathic behaviour there, right? I think he knows by now. It's just ridiculous that David seems to think that he needs to, that the thing that drove Max over the edge was saying that his mother would be disappointed in him. Because his mother would be disappointed in him. Mm -hmm. That was true. And Max didn't yeah. Max didn't give a fuck about that. Max just wanted his phone and to get away and to not face consequences. I don't think he cared at all what David said. He seemed to care, though, last week when he was, uh, for a while anyway, when he was talking to Amy in, the, in Nina's roles, when he said, when he, when he admitted it. Right. But then he went right back to, you know. Blaming Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. But for a moment, he was kind of tearful and looking quite shameful for what had happened and mm-hmm. at least temporarily yeah but that has nothing to do with what, for it. with what david said about his mum which no. is what david seems to think is why no but but i thought we were examining whether max has a capability of feeling real emotion I, I and expressing real emotion and it looked at least for a moment yes. last week that he did but not this week for like five seconds right 
and then e- it was even less of it. Yeah, yeah. Once he and even 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 then, you know, he does this thing and he seems genuinely sorry, but then he sits down in Nina's roles and you know, and Nina's looking at him like, "Why are you still here?" It's like, "Well, I got that all off my chest. Now can I have a cuppa and yeah. and yeah, an apple cake?" Him, she tells him to leave, and he just and he doesn't ignores it, right? Yeah. I kind of wish that that had been addressed because I don't think Nina's the sort of person who would have just let that go, right? But she did. I was quite pleased though that Gail got her chance to really say what I think the audience is saying. You know, this is. Uh, this is not regular behaviour. This is right, and nobody should be apologising for him. Least of all you, right. David. Yeah, absolutely. It's not David's. It's... The, the the downside is though that Gail isn't exactly talking from a position of strength here, which no. David is well aware of. Also, also quick to point out, right? Yeah, David and Shona are to blame for not telling the truth right away, and I'm going to that is it. Some. A little bit more of the blame on Shona, on Shona because yeah. it really was her idea. Right. Because she completely forgot everything about her son except for his name. Yeah, well, let's let's take the advice of the person that got shot in the stomach and has a brain injury. Maybe. <laughs> right. Shall we move on to our next storyline this morning? Is it less depressing than this? Uh, let's find out together. <laughs> this is Seasick Homeless Stew. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> is it? Yes. There's elements of it that, that absolutely drive me crazy. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but no. On Monday, let's speed dial. Preparations are underway for the Eid celebration later. Woohoo! Stu made a couple of pushes to get Zidane involved, but Jasmine is hearing none of it. When's the food arriving? asks Alia. Huh? Says Stu, obviously flustered by the reverse side of the list that he's been working on. Uh, midday, he says unconvincingly. And then he confesses to Kelly privately that he's fucked this up royally. He didn't realise there was two sides to this piece of paper. Right. I liked I liked uh, the use of Kelly this week in storylines other than her own. I found it quite refreshing. Her popping up in the and other in storylines where it seems like the writers remembered that she's involved in other people's lives. Right. And we'll we will get to it. But the thing that I liked uh, most about Kelly last week was when she was talking to Simon. And Simon just wasn't listening to her, and she went, okay. Okay. And she did something kind of similar this week. Yes. More of that, please, because yes. I think it's hilarious. She's the new dev. <laughs> okay. Stu, though, despite fucking up on the food front, he's got a gazebo. Right. He's got a gazebo, and he's he made the flyers. He's done everything on the front part of the list. Just the food. She just, he just, you know, you'd think that get food would be number one on the list and not something that you remember to put on the back side of the list. I don't think it really needs to go on the list. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? Well, it also kind of feels like something that, oh, I don't know, the owner of the restaurant should be doing because she's the one that handles the suppliers to begin with. Maybe the restaurant should have food. Right? Mm. Anyway. Anyway. So, at the gazebo, Homeless Stu confesses to Ken, who's been roped into this, about forgetting to order the food. Kelly comes back from Freshco, but there's no halal stuff. He knows that there's a wholesaler in Stockport, but it's bank holiday because it's May Day. And he talks to Ken, who's helping out. Because he's a holiday he's... for May Day? Mm-hmm. 
Wow. He's got a he's got a car. You've got a car, haven't you, Ken? Yeah. Ninety-year-old Ken, you can give me a ride, right? <laughs> well, ninety-year-old Ken is who Yasmin sent to help set up the gazebo with <laughs> Stu. Right. Let's remember, and Stu very gently said, "Hmm, maybe someone younger should be helping me." Back at speed dial, Alia and Yasmin continue to be concerned about Stu fucking up the food order, and now he isn't answering his phone. And the reason he's not answering his phone is because he's gone to a clearly closed wholesaler's. <gasps> He tells Ken that he's going to nip round the back of the warehouse to see if there's anyone there. He tells Ken to sit tight. Minutes later, we hear homeless Stu shouting at Ken to start the engine. Start the car! He's been pursued by a policeman who thinks Ken is the getaway driver because he's caught homeless Stu trying to break into the warehouse. Getaway driver? <laughs> Christmas tree? This, this reminds me of that time that the police got the wrong end of the stick when it was Roy and Evelyn in a car. Alone together. Oh, and Woody. Yes. Oh, oh R.I.P. Woody. He gave that to Nina. No, he sold it. I thought he gave it to Nina. No, he sold it. Remember, there was all that, I can't believe he's selling Woody. He must be serious about moving to South America. And it was for a couple of weeks. <laughs> User both nicked, says a copper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Arya and Yasmin are getting ready to cancel Eid when Zidane happens along and he realises that there's something that he can do about it and he goes off to see if he can nab some food from Debbie who apparently owes him a favour Alia and Yasmin let him just as Ken turns up to tell Yasmin oh by the way if you're wondering where Holmes Stew is he's in jail <laughs> which reminds me of the Was Not Was song Hiya Dad I'm in jail that's what he should have sung to Yasmin right Made famous from the uh, Christian Slater movie, Pump Up the Volume. Yasmin has called the cops to vouch for Homeless Stew, which is enough, apparently, to get Homeless Stew released. But we learn that Homeless Stew's got some prior. Yes, which we didn't know. Well, I think I think it's one of the, uh, the consequences of being homeless is that you end up shoplifting, you end up getting caught shoplifting, uh, let's, let's, you end up getting nicked. Let's be careful about making blank, blanket statements like that about the homeless. I don't think, I think it's common for that to happen, that they're pushed into into crime and also to support uh, drug use. Ooh, yes, let's make a blanket statement about the homeless and drug use, shall we? It's not a blanket statement, I'm not saying that all of them, I'm just saying that it happens. So I don't think, it, I don't think it, it's as... Shocking to find out that Homeless Stew has done some bird. Well, let's remember, we're still not quite sure how long Homeless Stew was homeless because it seemed like years, but then he said something that indicated it was months. I'm not sure that his story holds up. And now also <laughs> it seems like his daughter is old enough to give him grandchildren now, which I didn't think was the case the way he was talking about his daughter before. So who knows? I think... I remember him talking about homeless Stew becoming homeless because he was referring to himself in the third person, remember? Mm -hmm. He does that. A year ago. Yes. I thought he'd been on the streets for a year. Right. But, and that's when he lost touch with his family. Right. But I'm sure he said that he lost touch with his family, but now it seems that he's he has at least an address for his daughter. Right. Who it might be an old address, so that kind of gives an idea that it's... Anyway, we're getting ahead right. of ourselves. Right, yeah. yes, yes. Back on the street, Homeless Shoe runs into Yasmin, who tells them they have nothing to say to each other now. He was planning to rob a warehouse, for goodness sake. 
but I just didn't want to disappoint you, says Homeless Stew. Which is tough to tea. Which is sweet, but also... Is it sweet? It's stupid more than anything. It's stupid. Yeah. Well, that was going to be the end of my sentence. It's sweet, but also stupid. Misguided. Now she's off to celebrate Eid with people that she loves. And she tells Homeless Stew to move out. Are we doing this again? We're doing the whole uh, Eileen Undertaker thing with Yasmin the Homeless Stew, which we've done before. Right. And now we're doing it again. On Wednesday in the morning, Tracy has found Homeless Stew on the toilet smoking a ciggy. He comes down and Wearing explains Amy's robe. <laughs> that he enjoys the occasional crafty on the Kazi. It turns out that Ken had agreed to let him stay for the night. And it also turns out that Tracy has forgotten that she and Homeless Stew are friends. Yes. Yes. That damn restart button. Right. Yeah, they were best buds. They were going to go. They were going to go and see something, weren't they? They were going to go do a course together on wine. I'm not going to go and do that, said Homeless Stew. Right. Maybe, so maybe that's, that's why. why. They fell out, right? Yeah. Homeless Stew's cooked you breakfast. You never know with Tracy. To make up for the smell, he and Ken talk about getting at Yasmin's good books again. Ken suggests writing a letter, but Homeless Stew has a better idea. But we'll still need Ken's help. What? So later at Speed Dial, Al just talked to Yasmin about the possibility of thanking Zidane for his help yesterday when Homeless Stew and his guitar show up and he sings a song of apology that goes on for about 30 seconds too long. Yasmin turns into Simon Cowell, threatens to call the police if he doesn't fuck off right now. <laughs> Homeless Stew just made a mistake by attempting a heist at a warehouse, but he didn't want to let her down. She picks up the phone, so he leaves, but Alia thinks that she's making a terrible mistake. Homeless Stu is as honest as the day is long, says Alia, if you ignore that attempted burglary thing. Right, but I mean, it was... He jiggled the lock. It's not like he took a crowbar to it. He might have the if he had he been caught. The way to the accusation kind of suggests to me that that was next on his list. Right, but he never got to that, so I think I think we can forgive him. <laughs> I just want to forgive. Oh, I, I, I tried to stab you, but you ran away too quickly. So that's okay. That's totally different. And also just, there has to be one redeemable character who identifies as male on the street. And Stu is the closest thing we've got at the moment. Yasmin has had enough humiliation from Tim's dad to do her a lifetime. Yasmin though remembers that Alia's been right by her side these last few minutes. So she can move right back into the house but not Homeless Stew. He can't move back. And despite just being forgiven moments earlier, Alia misses the forgiving version of her gran. Comparing Homeless Stew to Tim's dad is unfair, she says. Which is true. <sighs> and also, again, it kind of puts that little question mark over the, what that relationship is if she's right. comparing Homeless Stew to her husband. Right. Her when, evil, evil husband. When they were just friends. Right. Are they just friends, though? Homeless Stew's in the rovers being called seasick Homeless Stew by Gemma when Yasmin <laughs> comes in and apologises for comparing him to Tim's dad and she offers him his old room back. Homeless Stew apologises again in the makeup. No more songs though, says Jasmine. She's quite clear about that. And no more wanking on the toilet. <laughs> on Friday, in Nina's rolls, Yasmin meets up with Homeless Stew. He's been shopping and has a treat planned for her later. He nips off for a shite, which allows Yasmin to spy his bags and she discovers a beautiful necklace that she thinks is the treat that he was talking about. So at speed dial later, Yasmin confronts Homeless Stew about the necklace, but he explains that the treat that he had in mind was cooking dinner, which is turning into his go-to treat. The necklace was for someone else. Don't ask me who, he says, and then immediately says it's for his daughter. Don't I feel like a fucking asshole, says Yasmin. So well, Yas gee. <laughs> it's almost like 
This is the second time that a gift has gone awry between Yasmin and Homeless Stew. Let's all remember Yasmin's burning brigier. <laughs> yep. Let's take a moment all. <laughs> to think back to Yasmin's I remember that now. Yeah. burning brazier. The old member berries are tingling about that. <laughs> member? A member. So Yasmin the Homeless Stew talk about Bridget, his daughter. See, that, that makes it sound like she's even older. Young, Why? Pe- young people don't get called Bridget these days, do they? Yes. I'm sure they do. Old-fashioned names have come back into fashion. Bridget, though. Unless you're Elon Musk and then you name your child after numbers. <laughs> it's kind of like Keith. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Keith. And sorry, Bridget. He and keeps sorry, sending lots of numbers. <laughs> he keeps sending her presents, but hasn't been in touch with her for years. Yasmin blames the guitar. He just wants to know that she's okay, or if he has grandkids. Talking of which, he suggests that she makes up with Zidane, or she may end up just like him. Right, so that that whole... This whole thing do, is we, just, do we make her old enough to have grandchildren just so Stu can guilt Yasmin into forgiving Zidane? I'm hoping this is just a happy coincidence, or a happy consequence of that is... And not just the writers forgetting how old I'm going to go, child I'm is going supposed to be. I'm going to go back and find out now everything that Homeless Shoe has ever said about his past. Right, yeah, because it's lots of conflicting reports. Right. Broomy investigates. <laughs> <laughs> There's that hard hitting um, true crime podcast that you've always wanted to do. Right, an expose <laughs> on Homeless Stew. That would be what it was called, Expose. A true crime podcast. I thought it was going to be Dumb Crimes or something. Stupid Crimes was Stupid what it was crimes. going to be. Yeah, and I think that's already a podcast. Yeah, I think I think it's not an original idea. Right, yeah, it's like... it's like Not when, like this. It's like when we wanted to do that, you know, <clears throat> all your presidents are problematic, and somebody had already done that too. That was a good idea. Yeah. They're limited, but right. still a good idea. Well, you got... 45, 46, 45, 46, yeah, to talk about. And there's always new ones coming up. Yeah, and some and, might have required more than one episode. Uh, right, and they are all problematic in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yes. So later at Spidal, Yasmin and Zidane make up, and she invites him to move back, which is only fair considering Alia has been there stretching her legs for a couple of days now. Zidane agrees, and that's that, all wrapped up. So where are all these people sleeping in Yasmin's house now? I think they're all stacked up on top of one another in Tim's mum's old room. Well, one's in Tim's mum's room and one's in Cathy's room. Although, wasn't 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 Yasmin sleeping with one of them, or sharing a bed with Tim's mum? Maybe. God, if only that had happened. I really wanted to see that storyline. Didn't, didn't? Wouldn't they top and tail with each other? But not like that. Maybe like that. Maybe like that. Officially, now like that. Make Yasmin gay. Please. Ah, she's got the hots for homeless Stew. Well, he does have beautiful, luxurious hair. He does. But also a beard. And a guitar. <laughs> she doesn't like the guitar, though. No, and I don't blame her. That song was awful. Well, let's remember Ken wrote it. Oh, I don't know. Could, you could I, tell that Ken had written I that. I don't know why a homeless Stew... Yeah, some French homeless his, Stew. Who, is, ...who has written his own songs before. Exactly relied on Ken helping him write a song that doesn't make any sense to me because have have we seen any evidence in the entire history of Coronation Street 
that that Ken can write music and no. lyrics. He wrote a book that was also unsuccessful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, has he even written poetry? I'm sure he has. Oh, I would imagine he's got oh, volumes it's of poetry. Probably all rhymes, all rhymes too. It's all about love and his dog. They're all sonnets, Shakespearean sonnets. Not even as as uh, sophisticated as that. I don't think. No, he'd make them sophisticated. He'd be the type of poet who would <laughs> brag for years because he wrote one Sestina. Don't we all? <laughs> I don't brag about mine. Do you brag about yours? Have you written a Sestina before? Of course I have. Have you? Yeah. I don't remember that. Moving on then, our next storyline this morning is Craig's going nowhere. Ugh. Why? Why not? Just go. On Monday at the Young Crew flat, Faye is getting ready to receive her test results from that time when she had a <sighs> false positive on a pregnancy test. Yes. She's sure it'll just be a reaction to that antihistamine thing that she was taking when Peanut was staying with him. Mm. So we know it's definitely not that. No. But she'll let Craig know as soon as she finds out. Yes. So Faye is at her appointment with Dr. Gaddis, who explains that she has a condition called the early menopause. Faye, Only we don't like to use that term. Faye worries that this means that she's going to turn into an old woman. But Gaddis assures her that this isn't the case. She won't transform into an old woman. <laughs> but it does mean that her baby factory is now officially closed. Faye is crushed and explains that she and Craig want to be parents, as it, though that will make a difference. And I mean, it's not it's not closed necessarily. It's just that she would need to get... She, she would need to get supplies from a different factory right. embedded into her factory. She needed to outsource the egg production. Right, of her factory. Right. But she could still use her factory. And that factory could still use... For packaging, right? Right, yeah. She could, and she could... That factory could still use... Oh, I think we've gone as far as we can. Craig's supply. So at least... <sighs> this is just... This and another storyline just really frustrates me about how... When it comes to babies, the show just goes right, just jumps into its TARDIS and goes right back to the 1950s and perceptions about... Goes back to the... 1950s? Thank you. <laughs> because... not, sure, not, not sure that's the best one that you could have done. But... Right, but remember, we wanted to make it different from the... No, no, no. You want to make it different. I'm quite happy with them all being the same. <laughs> You're not the one doing it, though. Well. But anyway, back to my point. Putting all of a woman's worth onto whether or not she can conceive a baby and also putting all of a woman's worth on whether or not she can raise a baby and, you know, making all of these women all of a sudden just baby crazy and wanting to have babies. The thing that gets me about this storyline isn't quite so much that. And it's not quite so much what I'm about to say either, because it's not it's not as bad as I'm about to paint it. Well, in fairness, but, I'm I'm adding this and another storyline that we will get to, yeah, and having them both I've, happen in the same week. You, you were you were perfectly clear about that. Oh. The thing that gets me about this, and and I'm going to over egg this, uh-huh. but the thing that gets me is that, <laughs> over egg. Oh, is it seems to be Faye? You can't have babies. Faye's first thought is, "What's Craig going to think about this?" Right. Yeah. Which that, is, that's kind of the, the the bit that sticks in my craw a little bit. It's part of, and, and that's part of this whole 1950s, you know, a woman's worth is whether or not she can conceive children for you sort of thing, you know. So it's it's all in the same kit and caboodle of what decade are we in here? What century are we in here? <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> 
Later, Craig gets back to the flat looking for Faye, but can't find Faye, so calls Faye, but Faye's answer machine picks up. At number four, Tim is eating an ironic raw egg as Faye comes in to tell her dad that her ovaries are fucked. She's worried that Craig won't want to be with her now and reckons this is karma for giving up her first kid. Yeah, that's, again, yes, let's guilt women for giving their children up for adoption or not having children. <sighs> Tim thinks this is pish and Craig is a good guy and deserves to know because he's a man. And also, Tim makes the same assumption that, that Faye did with, with Gaddas, thinking that they can do something to jumpstart her egg production. Right. As if, as if that's a thing. You have a certain amount of eggs, and that's it. Yeah, it's a, it's a finite number. Right. Which kind of surprises you when you think about it a little bit, right? right? Right, especially since men keep producing semen their whole lives. Women are born with a certain amount of eggs. Finite. Yes. It, it doesn't it's seem not fair. My, it's not my fault. It is your fault. Faye gets home and explains to Craig about her ovaries being fucked and how she can't have any kids and she'll understand if he wants to walk away. But Craig wants to be with Faye more than he wants kids, so he's gone nowhere for now. Mm -hmm. Separately, we see Tim on the phone to Sally promising to get that appointment after all. Yes, which is nice. On Wednesday, in Nina Rolls, Craig is whispering, which means this is serious news, as he explains to Beth about Faye's fucked ovaries. Beth thinks this gives a great excuse to walk, given that they have no chemistry together, much the same way as they don't have any biology now either. Furious, Craig sends Beth packing just as Faye arrives. And so Craig explains Beth's comments. Faye thinks that Beth has a point because Craig's wanted kids for a whole fortnight now. And she she can't give him any because of those ovaries. He he thinks they have options and he promises Mm -hmm. or threatens to stick by her forever. Yeah, this is... And this is another part of this whole frustrating thing, this idea, which is ridiculous on this particular street when so many people have adopted children, that if the if the child is not conceived by your egg, it's not your child and it doesn't count if it's not yours biologically. It can still be your partner's biologically and you will still be the one carrying the baby because that part of your factory is still working. So this whole... It's it's so it pisses me off so much because it's like, aren't we at a point in this day and age where we understand that family can mean so many different things? No, especially Genetic, on genetics the street. and everything. It, it pisses me. It's just it's yet another layer of this whole outdated ideas about a woman's worth. You know, if it's not my egg, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm I'm useless if it's not my egg. Go fuck yourself, whoever wrote this. Can we talk about Tim eating an egg as he receives this news? Because that's deliberate, right? <laughs> well, of course, of course, it's deliberate. And at least, and at least, Tim got something out of his daughter's trauma, so that because of his daughter's trauma, a man learns a lesson. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's going to get his thing. own dick fixed because that's the most important part of this storyline is Tim's dick. It's the name of this week's episode. <laughs> Tim's dick. It's not bad. Tim's it, dick. It might as well be. Tim's dick and Imran's cock. <laughs> and his beautiful arsehole. That's, that's just for those of you who have been on Twitter this morning. <laughs> for everyone else, it's just a nice little surprise. <laughs> And Charlie, we are so, so very sorry. 
You say that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole, well, Craig won't want to be with me because he's wanted to have a kid for 15 seconds and now I can't give him that kid. I don't know. Why, why does the show tease us so, given Faye and Craig multiple reasons to split up and yet they haven't done it? Right. No other relationship is as strong as this. And it's making Craig out to be this hero for sticking by Faye. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not going to dump you because you cannot give me children. I am the hero of this story. This but, story is all about redeeming me and making me look like the good guy. But remember, and also fixing your dad's dick. But two weeks ago, I said I don't want her, I don't want to have kids with you right now. Right. I, I I want them so much that I don't want them right now. Right. Well, I think he said that because because Faye said that. Well, because Faye was the one who said no, it first. No, it was him. It was he was the one that that hated the idea, and then she said, "Well, I feel exactly the same." Yeah, but the only reason why he said that is because Faye had already confided to Beth that she didn't want kids right now. No, yes, Craig sat. We gave it a moment of the week. Craig sat on the curb and explained to Beth. Oh, about that's it. right. She was. He, it was Craig who was explaining to Beth, not Faye. What is wrong with my brain this yeah, morning? Because they look exactly like each other. They do. That's just a, that's as much. A, that's the most horrible thing you've ever said. <laughs> just as much as Faye and Amy look alike. Yeah, well, at least they do. <laughs> not. Oh, they both have long brown hair. They must be the same person. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Quite a snipey little episode. <laughs> Our next storyline this morning is a thorny encounter. <gasps> oh, this is. No, I think. Remember got... <laughs> when we thought this was going to be a sexual assault storyline, and we were like kind of dreading it. It's so much worse what they actually came up with, isn't it? <laughs> because well, it's so stupid. Well, this is so stupid. I think I'm going to have an unpopular opinion on this. It's so stupid. On Wednesday, number one, Peter is off for a follow-up on his liver transplant. Which happened a year ago. At the hospital, Mr Thorne is a bit of a snippier character than he was last week as he asks Aggie to print off Peter's records and he's very careful to say, put his blood work at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Aggie asks him if he's aware that all this stuff is available online now. He confirms that he's well aware of this. Thank you very much. Right, yes. He's aware of the internet. Aggie here given that this is her first full day in a new job with a new boss, uh-huh. I think she could do better. Oh, go fuck yourself. I think she could do better. Yeah, she's just... You don't say to him, have you heard the internet, <laughs> you thick twat? Well... I don't have to print this off. Well, you know, she... This isn't his a... first day of the job. I think he knows that you can print this off. And it's, it's just the way that she says it as well. It's, it's kind of condescending. Well... He it deserves gets it. It gets worse. He deserves it. I don't think he deserves it yet. But in the end, he deserves it, so it's fine. Peter goes to see Dr. Thorne. No, Dr. Thorne. Mr. Mr. Thorne. Thorne. And it's all good news until Thorne can't find Peter's blood work. He calls on Aggie, who comes in and says, It's right where you told me to put it, you blind bastard. And she and Peter have a right good laugh at the good doctor's inability to see things literally right under his nose. Mistake number two from Aggie. Well, in fairness to Aggie there, Peter played a part in that. And he would he only played a part in that because he knows Aggie. He plays a part in it. I don't later. think he would I don't think he would joke and I don't think he would be, you know, singing Aggie's praises if if he didn't know Aggie. After Because I think leaves. that sticks in his the in Mr. Thorne's craw as well. After Peter leaves, Aggie is talking to a colleague when Thorne tears a strip of her for being a cheeky cow in front of a patient earlier and gives her a verbal warning. 
Right. Very loudly and in front of her colleagues, which is a big no-no. Yeah, he shouldn't have done that, but I think he should have had a word with her about how she spoke. I don't think you can say that to a doctor in front of a patient. What? That the the paper I'm sorry, doctor, the paper is right there where you told me to put it. That's absolutely fine. Say that. Don't say, oh, don't worry. I I sometimes can't see things that are right in front of my face too. She's trying to be sympathetic to him. Nah. I don't. I think that's what. She's trying I think to that's what causes the problem, and and I can understand that a little bit. I think he. I think it. Uh, it. I think he would have had a problem with it either way, and I think he did that intentionally, just to show her up. What? Have her print it out. Have her put it in a specific place, and then not look in that place to find it. I think that was intentional. Oh, I see. I'd not. None of across my mind. I think that was intentional to to bring her in. And put her down in front of a patient and it backfired on him because she wasn't cowed by him and said, oh, no, it's there. And also had that patient tell him what a great person Aggie is. I think all of that backfired miserably on him. Interesting. Because why would he? Because why would he ask her to print it out, tell her to put it in a specific place and then not look for it in that certain place? Well, he did. He didn't. Well, he did. You saw him do it. Well, you saw him look through, but yeah. you didn't see him find it where it was no. in the exact place until, at the very bottom. Until she said. Right. But, and then said, it was right in front of your face, you blind bastard. Well, she didn't say that. To that effect. Right. So, but why so I'm, not, I'm not sure that this is the best plan in the world for him to do when he then finds it. Right. But he's expecting her to be so cowed by the fact that he's this big badass consultant by him just asking one question where's that blood work you're thinking that's going to fluster Aggie or you think that he thinks that that's going to fluster Aggie yeah because he doesn't know her and I'm sure strange thing to think and I'm sure it has flustered nurses in the past or nurses have been like oh I'm so very sorry doctor or consultant or mister whatever your name is Mm. yeah I'm not buying that yeah well that's fine because I do so it's fun when we have different opinions it makes the show better Later, Aggie's colleague says Thorne is a nasty piece of work and we've all been there, but not like that. Yeah. This is how he is, apparently, but he's too good at his job for the hospital to let him go, even though he said that he's retiring. Just keep your head down. Right, yeah. That, 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 that whole conversation makes no sense if he's retiring. She's like, oh, the hospital is so desperate for people. We're so understaffed that we need this consultant who's not even a doctor. He's a consultant. Well, he's a surgeon. But why is he not a doctor then? He is. He's a consultant. If he's a doctor, why don't they call him doctor? Because they call him mister. Why? That makes no sense. Take it up with ancient British ways of referring to medical professionals. It makes no sense. Oh, do you know what? Even better, do some fucking research. (laughs) Somebody is not getting laid tonight. (laughs) Later, and rather unbelievably... Thorne leaves his office door open so Aggie can overhear him on the phone collecting on a bet that he had with a fellow doctor that he could complete Peter's liver transplant in under 15 minutes blindfolded. (laughs) Aggie comes in and makes it absolutely clear that she overheard him. Busted your prick. Get back to work. Barks Thorne. In the rovers later, Aggie tells Ed what she overheard about Thorne gambling about liver transplant speedruns, skipping the part where she was disrespectful to her boss in front of a patient. And it makes Ed's piss boil. So on Friday at Nina's Rolls, Aggie doesn't know how nosy and interfering she could be given that Thorne is about to retire. Ed thinks she should follow her gut, which is nice and non-committal, so Aggie decides to get some more evidence. 
At the hospital, Mr Thorne is in a super mood and asks to write off the other day as just a blip. Aggie is pleased to agree until Thorne says that he forgives her, which puts Aggie's nose out of joint. Aggie starts printing off some random records including Peter's and almost gets caught, but thankfully someone's dying on the ward and that distracts everyone. Later, Thorne interrupts a conversation between Aggie and her colleague about the files and asks one of them to make him a cup of coffee. Yeah, which he did already earlier when he asked Aggie to print out those files and also he would love an espresso. Yeah, I think Aggie made it. So he wants another one. Because Aggie can't cook, remember, or apparently boil a kettle. Later again, Thorne storms out in a foul mood. Aggie's colleague wonders what that was all about, but Aggie has heard on a grapevine tapped up that someone has reported them. And it turns out that all of Thorne's operations have been cancelled for the next few weeks, which is bad news for the bloke who's been waiting for two years and has been fair looking forward to his liver transplant. And his wife, his wife, is not happy in the slightest. Well, some sort of surgery. He doesn't specify that it's a liver transplant, because you'd think a liver transplant, they would fly somebody in for that (laughs) or something, because livers don't tend to stick around for... They have a very short shelf life there we go yeah these are the ones that get flown in on helicopters and right stuff. yes in in thermoses or coolers <laughs> just <laughs> stuff them in your flask <laughs> oh somebody's put a liver in my tomato soup <laughs> nom 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 <laughs> that's a nice chianti right yeah it's liver and chianti in that <sighs> thermos do you know that annoys me almost as much as people say not what, Chianti? Going there. Uh, I had it with some fava beans and Chianti. <laughs> right. It's just so overdone. Well. And Wayne's World was is, 1991 or something, is, right? Is, is that the most overdone part of Silence of the Lambs? I think not. Yeah, I think it is. You, you don't think, would you do me? I'd do me. And dancing with dancing in front of a mirror tucked with a robe open. Not even close to as many times as... With a nice Chianti and fava beans. <laughs> Not even close. I think the one that may be closest to it is it puts a lotion on its skin or else it gets a hose again. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <clears throat> so, outside the hospital, Thorne has a go at Aggie, knowing it was her who grassed him up. She gives as good as she gets when they argue, but he points out that he'll be back working here in a couple of days. And once that happens, he promises to make her life a misery. That's as far as we get with that this week. I get that hospitals are short-staffed right now. I think it's weird that, you know, nobody in the Thank hospital... Thank you, Brexit. Yeah, I think it's weird. And COVID. I think it's weird that neither Brexit nor COVID are mentioned <laughs> in, in the storyline about why there's only one consultant in this whole hospital who's able to do surgery. That doesn't make any sense. What He's about- the best around. What about, what about, what's his name? Can do a liver transplant in 15 minutes blindfolded. What about what about the heart guy? Can we well, get he's the heart, the heart guy? guy? Yeah, but how hard is it? I'm sure I'm he's sh- the one that put the liver in the flask in the first place. <laughs> I'm sure the heart is a much more complicated organ than the liver, so one would think. And part of a whole transplant is about You're blood vessels your whole transplanted and veins. Kind of not a funny thing to say to someone who had colon cancer, but anyway. You'd think this, I don't know, this whole 
the whole he's a bad guy because he bets on the lives of his patients. I mean, it doesn't really do that. He bets on the, the time that it takes to do the operation. Right. But that means that he is rushing these operations and maybe not doing as great of a job on it because he wants to win money on them. Or it means that he's so good at his job, he can do it in super quick time. It, well, it's, you it's, know, ri- it's ridiculous. Let's agree on that. You know, you know what other doctor thought he was so good at his job, he didn't have to follow the rules? Dr. Zeus. Dr. Strange. And then he was tweeting, or he was texting while driving his car really fast on a curvy road and crashed and lost the use of his hands and then became a superhero. So it kind of worked out then? <laughs> Still, you know, this is... I, I almost feel like I would rather have a, another sexual harassment storyline. <laughs> I think so too. I just, I feel like that would be more believable. And that would be, that would be Aggie dealing with something that is happening to her and not Aggie defending a man that she barely knows against his surgeon. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think there have been a little bit, maybe purposefully ambiguous here about Aggie's role in this. Because she is a little bit, a bit snippy and she's a bit, she's also printing off records that she has no business printing off, which isn't great either. Is and it, also, would a gastroenterologist be the one to replace your I liver? liver tra- that's what I thought. Yeah, because that's more... Um, stomach. Well, gastro, yes, is more stomach, but the liver is more blood processing and stuff. So I don't know why a gastroenterologist is, is doing... Maybe that's why he's so quick at it. Liver transplants. It's also asking us to believe that he would keep his door open while he's talking about this illicit activity. Right, yeah. Because he's so full of himself, he doesn't expect anyone to call him out on his bad behaviour. I guess. But still, you know... Would you talk about that on a hospital phone loudly in your own office with an open door? Probably not. Probably not. No. This is stupid. This whole thing is so <laughs> stupid. I was like, yes, finally, Aggie's getting her own storyline, and then they make right. it stupid. <sighs> Let's move on then to our next storyline this morning, which is The Secrets of the Undertaker, just on Friday. Mary's up nice and early doing her Canadian Air Force toe touches and finds The Undertaker looking like a pile of shite. Hmm. He says he's not been sleeping great, whereas Mary assumes that Todd's been trying to own with him. Had a few too many shandies. We've all been there, she says. At least, really? you're, not, at least you're not snoring. Right. Right. No, no. It's Instead, Mary's assuming that gay men can't control themselves. Right. Which isn't, under- isn't problematic at all. The Undertaker bumps into Evelyn and has a long conversation about a Mrs. Savage that I didn't really get the point of. While Todd discovers that The Undertaker has delivered to him the wrong ashes. You can't go on like this, says Todd, who goes off to set fire to a loaf of bread or something to cover up. Later, in Nina's role, the Undertaker gets some extra strong coffee. Bernie assuming that it's Eileen that's the snorer. Along comes Todd. The ashy stuff has been sorted out, but Todd makes another ultimatum to the Undertaker. Either you tell Eileen that you're refusing to sleep, or I will. So in the rovers, Undertaker comes clean to Eileen and Mary. Eileen poo-poos it, saying again that she doesn't care if he snores. She's been married to a serial killer and makes him promise to get a good night's sleep tonight. So at home, with a chippy tea, that's not conducive to a good night's sleep. A chippy tea? A big heavy chippy tea. Lots of starch that should put you to sleep. Lots of carbs. Mary gets the Undertaker no strips and has bought earplugs for everyone else. The Undertaker doesn't think it's going to work and then gets wired into the curry sauce and chips. And uh, Todd has a funny wee 
funny we remark to make about that. Right, yeah. Oh. Right, yeah. And he uses all the curry sauce and he doesn't leave any for Mary or Todd. And, and he also like gives Mary too few chips. I didn't notice that. Did yeah, he? Mary made a face when he like scooped like a third of those chips to her and then kept two thirds to himself. At night, the Undertaker is snoring away good still. I think it's, it's either 12.30 or 2.30 in the morning. No one is sleeping. And from the next room, Todd shouts at Eileen to get him to shut the fuck up. And that's as far as we get with that storyline this week. Todd's is making this story bearable. Yes. It's so good. Yes. Even just the this, this sound of him shouting at Eileen to get him to shut up was that cracked me up. Mary, though. <laughs> it was... Was that supposed to be kind of flirting with the Undertaker, that bit where she's in her robe doing her toe touches, you know, and she makes some suggestive comments to the Undertaker, who is her friend Eileen's significant other? She did fancy her chances at that profile, didn't she? Yes, which kind of makes me think that maybe she's still holding a torch for him. Well, she comes in with a very... Right. Flowy and revealing. Madame Butterfly. <laughs> right. Oh, good. Okay. Finally. Charlie just liked. Yeah, to Helen's those been tweets. fishing for, for Charlie likes again. Obviously, I haven't because I didn't. If I was really fishing, I would have tagged him in both of those oh, tweets. I would never do that. No, we're, we're, not, we're not thirsty like that. <laughs> but we just choose to interrupt a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to mention, to mention. we're not thirsty for likes. No, no. We're thirsty for Charlie. <laughs> I tag people in the moment of the week. Right. And that's yeah. That's it. That's about it. We get tagged in so many things. Do we? Yeah. Like every time there's like a Oh yeah, there's a few people that tag us and Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Which I appreciate. Our next story, our penultimate story, would you believe, Helen? What? As Kirk gets a horn. Brackets, but not like that. <laughs> Close brackets. On Friday, Kirk is letting being the extra office administrator thing go to his head and has ordered some extra equipment to incentivize the sales team. He has an air horn that he's going to let off every time the sales team make a sale. Not a thing is getting packed. But it is. It is, though, Gav, because mm-hmm. Jacob's there. Yes. Sarah tells him to knock it off. They're in an important call with Lady Gaga or something. I wasn't paying attention. Kirk loves his new toy though and he won't knock it off with a horn and then Sarah hears a funny noise and when she investigates she sees a little white box that squishes air freshener in her eye from Kirk's motion sensing why would freshener. You, why, would you, why would you put your eye that close to something? So it can spray you in the with eye. With a little hole in the front. So it can spray you in the eye. And why, if you work somewhere, would you not consult with your boss before purchasing something for the factory? Like an air spray thing yeah, that somebody may, somebody may be allergic or it might spray someone's food because it's right there by the food. I mean, I know it's Kirk, but still. <laughs> this is letting this extra office administrator thing go, go to his head. Uh, Espidal, Carl and Sarah, who I just realized this week are both called Barlow now. Yeah. Yeah. They make a joke about it. And I was like, oh, that's right. They're both Mrs. Barlow now. Right. Barlow and Barlow. It's beginning to be. It's beginning to look an awful lot like Alabama on the street, which I can say because my ancestors come from Alabama, but not like that. <laughs> They're chatting about killing Kirk, 
He apparently has another week left in this made-up role that they just gave him for answering the phone that one time. Something must be done now, as Kirk has been reading books about power naps, and we can't let that happen. Oh, God. I just realised, if Charlie is liking those, he's going to see the beautiful Arsenal tweet. Yeah, I I thought that as soon as you posted it, to be honest with you. (laughs) I'm so, so very sorry, Charlie. (laughs) Just as well, he doesn't think it was me that posted that. Right, I make it very clear that this is Uh, my thread. I don't know you made it that clear. (laughs) That's fine. <laughs> I'm sure it's like a little rabbit nose twitching in the breeze. Hey, that's... Never mind. Kirk's horn. It was quite funny. I, it was quite funny. It it was a better use of him, I think, than... I still don't know if it's a great use. Than the, it, I didn't say it was great. I said it was better than, say, randomly walking by with a yo-yo. True. But it's still kind of the same story, isn't it? Ha ha, Kirk is dumb. He does dumb things. But some of those dumb things, certain people find delightful and other people find irritating. Irritating, yeah. See, when everybody leaves the factory and Sarah's there just by herself, rather than getting sprayed in the eye with, you know, with scent, which you'd think would do more damage to her eye than apparently it did, Mm. I thought she was going to sneak in and, and blow off that air horn. That would have been funny. That would have been funny. It would have been a much better use so of So what else would have been nice would have been for Kirk to take a moment where he has his boss one-on-one and say to her, am I doing all right at this? Because I really, really want to be good at this. Yeah. Yes. It would be nice if they wrote Kirk <laughs> as a human being and right. not just a punchline. Yeah. Like Mary. Also a, a, a character who's, a, who's not a human being. She's a punchline. Why not make it turn out that Kirk is actually superb at getting people motivated and and, well, and full of adrenaline and, and working to, and their, to their best and being super productive. And and that's the thing. It seemed like that air horn was well, improving morale for Faye and Michael. They, they were enjoying it. They were laughing about it in a way that wasn't laughing at Kirk. You know, it, it did seem to be motivating you know, and that was nice. It was a nice touch that it's only Sarah and Carla who are irritated and they're only irritated because they're about ready to go into a meeting. Right. You know, I, if it had just been the air horn, I, I don't think I would have had any issues with the whole thing. Right. It's the air horn plus the air freshener. Our final storyline today is what's it all about, Alfie? <sighs> yeah. I think I'm going to have another unpopular opinion. On Monday, it's morning drinking for Leanne and Toya on Toya's wedding day. So much hard this week, it's Toya's wedding day. She's thrilled that Leanne will be there for her, but wants her to be happy for her, and Leanne insists that she is. Meanwhile, at the law office... Only she's really not. ...is getting stuck into this Ben character for not finding any dirt on Abby. She's definitely back on the muck, he says, so get out there and bloody find it. It's... I mean, I know we've seen this sort of behavior with Imran before where he gets fixated on something and insists it must be true and will do whatever it takes right. to prove it to be true. Because let's remember, his sister was crushed by a roof. I do remember that. Yes. And and he had definite ideas about who was responsible for that. The report. Dum, dum, dum. I miss Wayne. I miss Wayne too. Outside Nina's roles, Abby and Roy are chatting about Abby losing her barrister and how she can't afford a new one. Toya deserves better than Imran, says Abby, just as Ben bumps into the back of her and the two of them eye each other up, which I thought was kind of weird. Why would they do that? Or did they, did they really 
mistakenly do that? It kind of seemed like it was a genuine mistake, <sighs> which is... Hell, what's wrong with but he's supposed to be super brilliant at this. Right, yeah. He's a super paralegal that can find dirt on anybody. Right. Or make now up dirt on everybody. People. Jeez. Roy goes to see Kevin and tells him about his concerns about Abby losing her barrister and potentially losing the plot. Then Kev sees Abby jumping into a taxi heading off to one of their uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and he sees Ben in the car behind taking sneaky photos. Yes. And... and surprisingly puts two and two together because this whole storyline if nothing else is a desperate attempt to rehabilitate the image of when kevin webster <laughs> later toya is ready and looking fabulous for her wedding imran is a lucky man says leanne at the meeting abby is talking to her group when kev bursts in and fingers ben as being a journalist ben rushes out but abby gets a good look at him and leaves as he leaves and recognizes him from coming out of the law office even though she didn't see that bit yeah, and he had begun to, rec- when she started speaking at the meeting, he he had sneakily taken his phone out and started to record, he did. which is a big no-no in meetings that have the word anonymous in their title. <laughs> right. That's the first clue. Yes. Imran, she hisses. So Imran and Adam are in the rovers having a sneaky half to settle the nerves when Abby bursts in to accuse Imran of having her followed. It's legal, says Imran. Kinda, says Adam. Imran promises to get evidence that she's back in the muck. She insists that she isn't and throws a drink in his face. Adam, who fell from the mezzanine level of a shopping mall a few weeks ago, takes this in his stride and leads Imran away for a fresh shirt. Toya deserves to know what kind of prick she's marrying, shouts Abby. She knows what kind of prick I am, screams Imran. Steve is Toya's wedding driver, but as as he's opening the door for her, Abby jumps into the driver's seat and kidnaps Toya. Steve and there's doesn't a black even... ribbon on the, on the taxi. Right, thanks to Tracy. Steve doesn't even bother pretending to run after them. Instead, he saunters round to the garage to tell Kev that Abby has kidnapped Toya. Well, she deserves to have her wedding day ruined, says Kev, but agrees to phone Abby and leave the safe word on her answer machine. The safe word is Abby! <laughs> Abby wants a word with Toya, and this is in the car. Right. Did you know that Inman was having me followed? Yes, says Toya. Yeah, there's th- this awkward silence as Abby realises that Toya absolutely knew about this. Right. Do you think I'm a danger to Alfie? Yes, says Toya. And she insists that she and Imran are a better place to look after Alfie and no one is trying to cut Abby out. Abby points out that she's been clean for days now, so why doesn't everyone trust me to raise a kid I abandoned? And she accuses Toya of oh, only marrying Imran to get custody. It's been longer than days. It's been weeks and she didn't abandon him. She just went home. She asks Toya not to marry Imran, but she didn't really. It looks like that, but she knows she was. She went home and she was straight back on the muck. And then she came back. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Everyone sucks here. There was a moment where that child was abandoned. It may not have known it, and nobody may, may have known it, but Abby knew it. Yes, she had but to be he was back, abandoned. It? In a hospital surrounded by nurses and doctors trying to save his life. It's not like she left him in an alley somewhere. No, but you have to agree that she had no interest in raising that child well, at that time. She panicked. I'm not I'm not forgiving Abby Sounds like, yeah. for, for her failures. But, Abby, destroyer of, of worlds. <laughs> but no, I my point is is that Everybody, everybody, including people in real life who seem to just take any opportunity they can to knock women on their heads for being imperfect human beings. Everybody makes such a big deal 
about things that Abby's already made up for, you know, and and also accusing her of things like people are still using the twins against her (laughs) when everybody agreed at the time that she was doing the good and noble thing by allowing those nice people to adopt the twins. Now it's she's a bad mother because she abandoned the twins to these people with a big, massive house and enough money to immigrate to Australia. Yeah, but kind of before that, she let them go into care. Right. But then she did the right thing. Everybody keeps thinking that Abby has always been a drug addict. And well, yes, chemically... You never get over addiction because it's a disease, remember? Let's remember this is a disease. It's not something she chose to be. It's something that every day she's going to have to struggle with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's a bad person and we need to throw up all of the bad things she's done in her past every time she wants her way and everybody else doesn't want her way. Yeah, but the, the past is a decent indicator of the future, though. Not necessarily. You know, there are lots... Well, she's kind of proved it. No. But again, there have been lots of moments, and we've even complained about it on this show, where Abby is a superhero on the street. She's saving people constantly. She's being the good ear. She's being the good friend. Yeah, she has to be that. Right. And but- we've thought that she's she has to be that in, a, in an attempt to... To prove to herself that she's not the old person right. anymore. But every time she makes a mistake, nobody remembers the good stuff Abby has done. They just remember the bad stuff. And they remember the stuff that they used to call her a hero for and now twist it into something bad, which is just one of the many things that frustrates me about the storyline. And I know we've gotten off course a wee bit here, but continue. Well, I would have found you for everywhere. <laughs> Oh, she accuses Toya of only marrying Imran to get custody, since she asks Toya not to marry Imran. She apologises for scaring Toya. Toya tells her to get the car back to Steve before it's reported stolen and promises not to be made a fool. Toya is trying to, and she does later on as well, if Toya really wanted to throw Abby Under under the bus entirely, she has ample opportunity to do so, and she doesn't really do it. No, she does lie to her. And, and make it seem like she's not going to do the thing that she's going to do. But she does it in a very generalized way. Right. I'm not going to be made a fool. Right. She arrives just as Imran's about to call the police. Toya explains what happened and how Abby had better not to marry him. But this just proves how Abby is totally out of her fucking mind. So let's hurry up and get married now, please. But she doesn't look entirely convinced by it. Yeah, I'm starting to maybe believe. Uh, come around to my way of Yeah, thinking. kind of. Toya's vows are weird. Don't cheat on me. This is going to be tough. But let's give it a go, eh? And as she's going through these vows, a cocky Abby returns the car to the street. And that's all we see the wedding. And next we see Toya is Toya Habib. And she explains to Leanne what happened with Abby and how she's worried about how she'll react when she realises the wedding went ahead. Then Adam arrives and announces that everyone is heading back to the Rovers to celebrate properly. No one had a better idea of what to do. So that's what they're going to do. Right. Go back to the Rovers where Imran and Adam were earlier today. Right, yes. Because apparently that's the only place to do So Abby's waiting while Imran and Toya get to the rovers. Toya goes in, leaving Imran to insist again that Abby's back on the muck. Abby says this is not going to end well and that she's ready for their day in court and he's not the only one with mud to sling. So on Wednesday it's custody hearing day and it's the first full day of Imran and Toya's marriage. And also it's the anniversary of Seven Nina's attack. 
Imran has romantically de decorated the flat, but Toya is worried that Abby will get Alfie. Imran reminds Toya of yesterday's events. This is a no-brainer. So Abby is sitting in a public cafe pretending to prepare for her custody hearing. Roy gives her a cake to make her day better, given that it's also the anniversary of the SEB attack. Mm -hmm. And this pricks Kelly's attention, who also hears that Ellie is no longer representing Abby. Kelly goes over to wish Abby luck. I'm going to need it, what with Imran having me followed to prove that I'm back on the muck, she says. And this is news to Kelly, who now blames herself because of the whole morphine bottle thing. Right. And she goes off to speak with Imran. She goes to the law office, but he insists that this was the best way to ensure that Alfie is safe and points out that none of this has anything really to do with her. Except, of course, that she's also kind of an adoptive daughter of his. Hmm. On the street, Kev is offering his support this afternoon when Elliot rolls up to announce that thanks to a mysterious benefactor, he is representing Abby again, but he's not at liberty to divulge who. Ooh. Don't look at me, says Kev. No one was looking at you, Kev. <laughs> You're fresh from working under a car and you haven't shaved for a week. In other words, you look like you did on your wedding day. On her way to the hearing, Abby is accosted by Dean. Who, it's clearly Kelly who's paid for this, right? Yes, of course. Abby is accosted She's the only one with money on the street. By Dean, who needs some money. He's fresh out of jail and desperate, and she owes him after she grasped him up. So, aware that she is under surveillance, they go around a quiet corner, and Abby pays him off. Pays him off. Right, yeah. She gives. She, I don't understand why she even approached him. No. Except, of course, you know, for Ben to have something to take pictures of. Right. That's the only reason. Yeah, he if, threatens us slightly, saying that I'm going to go and speak to this lawyer guy. And yeah, and lie about you know you being back on the drugs mm -hmm. if you don't give me money because it's your fault that I have no money because it's your fault I was in jail. Yeah, sure, guy. The gun thing. Yeah. Was it the no, gun thing? No, no, it's not the gun thing because that was Ted's. Oh, I get so confused with all these people that she hangs about with. No, he got in. He got he got pegged because. Uh, he abandoned her in the forest while she was trying to give birth. Was that him? Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. And also so, sold her drugs. She so she grasped them up because of the stealing the, the car thing. So you That's would it. think that she would want to be as far away from this person as humanly possible and not walk directly at him and speak to him. Why would you do that? Right. Why would you do that? It's like in horror movies when they run upstairs instead of out the door. Right. <sighs> See, if I was to make a horror movie, I'd put the body outside the door. Didn't they do that and scream a couple times? Don't! <laughs> Later, Ben drops in on Imran, full of news. Abby has Elliot back on side and he has photos of Abby and Dean's encounter. Imran is mad because there's money being exchanged but no drugs. But for the right price, Ben offers to stand up in court and testify that he saw drugs. He thinks Imran needs this given that he's an adulterer in a sham marriage and Abby hasn't put a foot wrong. At the hearing, Elliot totally grasses up Imran to the judge for getting someone to follow Abby who has been attending meetings and keeping clean and, eh, excuse me, let's all remember that time Imran was defending Abby and called her a good mother. So Imran grasses up Abby and points out that Abby's still a junkie and I've got photos to prove it and I have a total random that no one knows about standing outside he'll confirm it. If it pleases a judge. Right. It pleases me, says the judge. In comes Ben and he confirms it. Well, that settles it, says the judge. Imran wins Alfie. Huzzah, <laughs> says Imran. Get it right fucking up you, says Toya. Imran, though, does get a slapped wrist for having Abby followed. Now, wait a second. Elliot doesn't get a chance to cross-examine this surprise <laughs> witness. Abby doesn't get a chance to defend herself nope. by being brought back up and 
questioned. Oh, ben said yes. That's yes. all that anyone needs to that's, hear. That's all. This this random person came in and said, "Nope, this is what happened." And yes, it's not in the pictures, but I saw her take drugs. And right. and, and and the whole and the whole Imran saying. Well, she must have figured out a way because the, the judge points out that she's been drug tested like on a weekly basis. That's that was part of the, the, the deal. Yep. And Imran says, well, she must be able to figure out a way to cheat that somehow. And nobody, nobody pushes him on this. Nope. Nobody says, how is that scientifically possible, Imran? Because even well, if she bought somebody's it, pee. It worked for the Russians in the Olympics. Even if even if she bought somebody's pee, they would have probably figured out that it wasn't her pee in some way if they did that. That's the only way that I can think that they would. But it also sounds like the drug testing is also blood-based and not necessarily just urine-based. I think we're going to find out that it's Mr. Thorne that's in charge of the, the drug testing. <laughs> and he's in a bit of a rush, understandably, to right. get through it. This brings uh, us on to this week's Hard Debate. Yeah. That's Simran and Toya successfully got their mitts on Alfie now, but which child should they go after next to add to their ill-gained collection? Should it be... Toya is the new Angelina Jolie of the street. Or Madonna was what I was thinking. Or Sandra Bullock. Should it be Bertie? Should it be Abby's twins? Should it be one of the quads? Or should it be Ruby? I voted Ruby because I always vote Ruby. It's got to be Ruby. <laughs> Poor Ruby. I love how you say that. It tickles me. <laughs> The voting was thus, Ruby, 13.8%. What? Now, I think a few people got the uh, the, the cruelty <laughs> of the Abby's Twins um, selection, and they went 15.5%. Bertie at 23.3 was second, but one of the quads at 47.4% is what most voters wanted Man and Toya to go after next. Well, it, would at least, it would at least, you know... Remind people that the quad they exists. Exist, right. Later, Elliot tells Abby that they can appeal and points it that the expectation will be for her to go off the rails. Don't give them the satisfaction. Toy and their man go to see Alfie and tell him the good news. Toy, though, has been disappointed so many times before there's part of her just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And man assures her that it's all plain sailing from here on in. Trust me, he says. <sighs> Have you learned nothing? Back at Kev's, he's making a cuppa. She worries that he doesn't believe her, but he doesn't think that she meets Dean to discuss books. She explains what happened and decides to believe her after all, but all she can do is appeal. So she goes off to see Alfie later and explains what happened at the custody hearing. Right, and Alfie says, oh, that's that's, he says, that's I, rough, Mum. He says, I know, because Imran and Toy have just been in. She's sorry <laughs> for letting them down. That's okay, he says. I'll be fine with Toy and Imran. Ah, you're probably right, says Abby. But I'm your mum and I'll always be here for you and stuff. No bother, says Alfie. On Friday, early doors, and my because, because this baby, this, this, this baby is Scottish now. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> because Scottish babies are the best babies. Get in my belly. <laughs> On Friday, early doors, Imran takes a call to let him know that Alfie is getting out of the hospital today and coming home. Belter, says Toya, and she goes off to get some messages. Abby turns up for work, which surprises Kev, given it's Seb's anniversary. He thought that she'd be in the memorial garden, so she fucks off to do that. I know right. where I'm not wanted, she says. Right, and it's it's a perfect opportunity to say for Abby to say, you know what, I really need the distraction of work right now. Yep. 
I need something to focus on other than the fact that I've just not really lost her son. Lost the an- on the anniversary. For now. Right, yeah. On the day of losing my other son. Or one of my other sons. Yeah, this doesn't sound good, whichever way you say it. No. It, it's At just... the garden, Nina has decorated the garden with some more of her artwork. <sighs> She's planned a vigil. <laughs> Is it? Abby worries that it's a big deal and no one has told her and she snaps at Nina about being super clean of the muck. Nina takes her off for a cuppa because she's terrified of Abby. And Nina rolls, Abby knows that she's let Alfie down and she reckons Seb would be ashamed, which is probably right. Just another baby she's left someone else to bring up, which is also kind of right. See, here's the thing. If Seb was still around, Alfie wouldn't exist. That's true. Nina says she should appeal because you would say that if you were there, wouldn't you? But Abby is knackered with all the fighting. Nina says that she would do anything to be with her mum again and Alfie is going to need her and she should fight to take Imran's baby away from him. (laughs) So following that, Abby goes to see Alfie and promises to bring him home and she learns that Alfie will be getting home today. Yes, but not her home. So she's singing to Alfie. There should be a rule preventing people from singing on the show because we've had homeless you doing it and now Abby doing it and I'd just rather they didn't she asks Alfie for his opinion on things but he's asleep so she decides to say fuck it to the judge and she's about to steal him and take him back to her place when Toya comes in and susses what's going on you're not Alfie's mum so fuck off shouts Abby oot my way ya cow says (laughs) I've got this little script in my head everyone's Scottish now on the show oot my way ya cow says Toya or I'll deck you on you go then, says Toya, but you'll not get past uh, reception and then you'll get lifted and then you'll never see your son again. Toya says the easiest thing I could do is let you go and Abby realises that she's behaving like a twat, but not before Imran comes in and realises what's going on. Imran wants to call the cops. Right, now Imran's the asshole. Right. Toya cares for Alfie. The beautiful, beautiful asshole. <laughs> well, Abby, is that not mentioning it again? <laughs> well, Abby and Imran shout at each other. Abby calls Toya a baby-stealing hypocrite. And Toya, Which is true. who has now had enough of trying to placate people here, asks how many more babies Abby's planning on giving up. And this gets Ouch. Abby to run away. Yeah, Toya, <sighs> Toya who has, I, I see her getting an awful lot of stick for her involvement in this. Uh-huh. And, and I, I, I'm honestly not team Imran and team Toya in this. No. But I'm definitely not team Abby. No, we're not team anyone. Because everybody is Everyone sucks fucking here. awful. Right? Everyone sucks here. But Toya, I think, has more than most tried to be Switzerland in this. Right. And she hasn't grasped up Abby for kidnapping her. No. And she hasn't grasped up Abby for trying to uh, kidnap go against Alfie. the court yeah. order and, and take Alfie. But at this point, when she's had enough yeah. and she's kind of bearing her teeth at, at Abby, it's like... Right. You don't mess with Toya either. You right. Might, you, may, you may think that you don't mess with Abby, yeah. but you don't mess with Toya either. She's Everyone, a Battersby. Right. Everyone forgets the Battersby side of her. Right. Everyone forgets what she was like as a young'un. Alfie's home with Toya and Imran, and Toya wonders if Ben got it wrong about uh, Abby being back on the muck, but Imran insists he's right. Right. Now, let's not talk about it. Right, yes, because he knows he's wrong. Yeah, and that's him barefaced lying that at Toya now. Yeah. He's probably already done it, but here he right, is doing yeah. it again yeah. on this happiest of days. Yeah. And it's because even though he's he knows that he's wrong, that there was there's no evidence that she took drugs, he still so firmly believes that she's taking drugs because 
if he stops believing that he has to face the fact that of how horrible he's been yeah he can't he can't give this he can't give this storyline up and that's i think one of the saddest things about all of this because honestly if it hadn't been for that i can't i can't think of three people who would work really well together as co-parents right than toya imran and abby you know because again people keep going on and on about her drug use but she was sober and clean the whole time between you know oh quite a while yeah yeah for almost a full year after seb's death and before that she was clean for even longer you know but as soon as she goes on the drugs because there are people on Twitter who are like, why isn't that baby addicted to drugs and stuff? And it's like at the point when she got back on the drugs, when remember she didn't know she was pregnant, the yeah, baby let's, let's was almost, scab again. the baby was almost full term. So it wouldn't have done as much well, damage. Six months. Yeah. Remember it was very premature. Right. Yeah. So I he shouldn't be getting out of the hospital and he's far too big. I'm not sure that there's a, well, Let's just say, if you weren't to rely on Ben's, in inverted commas, evidence, and you were just to try and take the recent events leading up to Alfie's birth and the immediate events after Alfie's birth, it's not it's not sewn on in any way, shape or form that Abby would get custody. Right. But it's the fact that Imran might not because if Imran doesn't get custody Imran and Toya probably aren't a thing because Toya's just in this for the baby right yeah which is problematic on its own right but yeah I mean and this is this is this is the ridiculousness of the courts acting unusually fast on a day that they shouldn't have been open in the first place <laughs> you know because let's remember Imran and Toya fully wanted to talk to Abby about this first before she found out from the courts. They all agreed the truth. Right. Yeah. And at that point, they were right that the best way to keep Alfie out of care is for Imran to go for custody for right now. And if they had had a chance to sit down with Abby and have a cuppa before that happened before she found out from the social worker and the courts that that had happened, which is totally unrealistic. None of the rest of this would have happened in this fashion. Mm. Back at the memorial thing, Nina and Asha are waiting when Abby shows up. Nina takes charge of it, uh, uh, but Abby goes first and apologises about being a shit human being who keeps losing babies. Nina doesn't think this is what she had in mind for her said memorial, but just lets it go. Later, Toya is bathing Alfie, which allows Imran to nab one of Alfie's teddy bears and shout that he's heading off for a few minutes. Imran heading off for a few minutes rarely goes well. Especially with a teddy bear. And he takes the bear round to Abby. She isn't grateful, thinking that he's just rubbing it in. He's stolen her baby. He offers extra visits, but Abby accuses him of paying off Ben to lie about her being back on the muck. He refuses to admit it and doubles down on her using again. Right. He tells her they all want the same thing. But Abby calls him a liar and wants to rip his head off. She's backing off for the moment but she's never given up until everyone knows what a shit human being he is and she's got Alfie back. And that night, Alfie's having an uneasy night thanks to the undertaker snoring. <laughs> he reaches for the bear, not Alfie, Imran, reaches for the bear that isn't there mm -hmm. because the bear 
is there with Abby mm-hmm. being snuggled, who is singing to it now because she's losing her mind. And that is how we Because that's what happens when you episodes. take babies away from women. They lose their minds because women are only good for babies. So drugs not bear. Where would Imran get drugs in the middle of the night? Dean. Does he have Dean on speed dial? Probably. Ben could probably fix him up. Because if he had Dean on speed dial, if he had access to drugs, wouldn't he have already planted drugs on Abby at some point? There's something about that bear. I don't think there's drugs in it, but I wondered if Is there, there was maybe some kind of recording device in it. Yeah. Right, yeah. But I, it's such a small bear, one would think Abby snuggling it would feel something weird and hard inside. And also, I don't, I, I, I doubt Imran's skills at sewing a bear back up. Maybe better than Lydia's uh, ability to hack into someone's Wi-Fi router. Uh, who knows? Yeah, something is up with that bear. The way that they did it, though, and I don't know if it's just the way that they were shooting those final scenes when there was a lots of lots of strange transitions from one scene to the next scene when it looked like it looked like Imran heard her singing, mm-hmm. which makes me think there's something. But it might just be the way that they filmed it. I don't know. But it was, it was a little ambiguous. There's something with the bear, though. Yeah, there's something with the bear. As with the whole Faye thing, making Toya and Abby both just so baby crazy and the idea of one or both of them at different times, you know, doing everything they can just to have a baby. It's just such a outdated idea of womanhood. And Abby's whole little speech about how she should be the one that's the first person Alfie sees in the morning and she should be the one putting his jammies on and she should be the one doing this and she should be the one doing that. I'm his mum. Right. Well, Imran's his dad. Yeah. Yeah. They should be working together to co-parent this child. Yeah, Imran isn't a random here. No. No. He does, he does have a case. And I think that's the frustrating thing in all of this is that we have these people... And it's not just it's not just Abby. There's there's other people on the street who have said to Imran, "How dare you try to steal her baby?" Yeah. And it's like a woman's job is not just to raise babies. What what are you saying to all of the women who can't be there first thing in the morning when their children wake up? What are we saying about all the women who will never have a chance to have babies? Even even before, you know, early menopause or something. What are we saying about the value of women here where we have we have the girl who gave her, her child up and now feels guilt and thinks that this is karma that because she gave her baby up, which was evidently the only thing that gave her value, she's now been struck barren. <laughs> what are we saying about Toya, a woman who can't who can't even carry a child, which is not Faye's problem and about how obsessed she is with babies that she's willing to do things that she knows is unethical because you could see the look in her eyes when Abby confronts her that she knows about what Imran and Ben were doing but she's not necessarily happy about it she's not necessarily, well she's she knows that she's she's accepting of some of it, right yeah, and and the idea that has been put into our heads 
that Toya is being a little bit devious here too. And that Toya will stomp on anyone and everyone just so she can have a baby because apparently this very smart woman who's a good counselor and also apparently sells knickers well and has been a necessarily good friend who goes to marches and things and is worried about the environment. Loses her fucking mind. Right. That she does all of this and yet she's only valuable if she gets to be a mother. And what are we saying about women who have problems, who have who are drug addicts or alcoholics or have been put in awful situations just by the consequences of their birth, being put in situations where they can lose their child and not get a chance to get the child back and says, I must get this child back at all costs, even if it means me kidnapping someone, because without this child... I have no value. This woman who has saved people's lives on the street, let's remember, and yet nobody seems to remember that. Nobody remembers all the good stuff Abby does because she panicked and left the hospital and was also incredibly depressed and got back on the muck for like 24 hours. Mm. A little longer, but... well. The, I'll take, I'll take your point. the fact remains that she was sober for a very long time and nobody seems to think about that because once a drug addict, always a drug addict. And as I said before, the addiction is always going to be there in the back of your head. It's one day at a time. But that doesn't mean that you'll never be a good person, that you'll never be able to overcome it in your own way. No, but, it, it but says, that also means that maybe she's not the best person to look after this baby right now. Right. And you're forgetting that women have the very most important job on the street, which is to allow men to realise things about themselves. Right, yes. And also to be the bearer of the burdens of men's bad behaviour. And to not cook properly. What, what century are we in? And I know, I know that part of this is probably irritating me more this week than any other week because of what is going on here in America right now with the Supreme Court. But I was already irritated by this storyline a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's really, really disappointing because, again, and I say this, I say this an awful lot, it's like the show doesn't understand who their demographic is. I just remember that we, when we gave uh, Toya and Imran uh, a moment of the week. Yeah. Georgia Taylor, in response to that, said, yeah, well, just hold on to that thought, <laughs> pretty much. And it turns out that she was right. Of course she was right. All right, well, that was about the Georgia week. Georgia is always that right. That was Coronation Street. I think we've talked about that pretty much at length all the way through. Uh, what was your moment of the week, uh, Mahelen? <sighs> it was not a great week. It was a week that really just pissed me off, mostly. I th- see, I, um, I, I, I think it was a Kirk's a, a air horn. <laughs> and Sarah getting squirted in the eye. Or Sarah flirting with Carla. I cannot think I'd like to take you out to dinner. It's not a date or anything. Yeah, Charlie Millwood was all over that. <laughs> all over that. Because if there's, if there's something that Charlie likes more, not Charlie Millward. Not you, Charlie. The other Charlie. <laughs> yes. If there's something that man likes more... 
than characters randomly murdering one another, mm -hmm. it's lesbians. But lesbian action. And you know what? He's not wrong in that front. <laughs> I, I still I, want Yasmin and Tim's mom to be in a relationship. Focus on moment of the week, please. And I think I think it is Kirk and his air horn. I'm sad. I'm sad to see it. I'm just I'm trying to think. Because nothing in the Max storyline, because that just infuriated me the whole way through. Nothing, obviously, in the Abby Toya Imran <laughs> storyline, <laughs> because that irritated me all the way through. And we don't actually see Kelly pay off the lawyer, because if we had actually seen that, that might have been close to moment of the week. Sometimes looking at what jumped out episode to episode helps. <laughs> So the the three clips of the episode where uh, Stu shouting on Kent to start the engine. <laughs> that was funny. There's been some kind of misunderstanding uh, between uh, Aggie and Mister Thorne. Yeah, but that whole storyline is stupid. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving it any. Crowns. And then basically, Kirk and his okay, air horn. So it's Kirk's air horn. Fucking hell! Really? Do better. Kirk and his air horn. Unbelievably, that's our. <laughs> Moment of the week. Our moment of the week. In a, in a week where there's a wedding, there's a kidnapping, there's a potential other kidnapping, and there's a court case, Kirk sounding an air horn is our moment of the week. Yeah. Is it also our boring moment of the week? No. Oh. What would that be then? Because I've got one more button to press and then we're done. Is it Mr. Thorne's patient's wife? getting mad because Mr. Thorne's patient can't get his surgery. Because the man who's actually going to be operated on doesn't seem all that bothered. It's he, his wife who's kicking a fuss. He's not allowed to say nothing because they, they don't pay him enough to say nothing. Right, yes. They're only paid that woman. They've slipped the woman an extra 50 quid so she be gets a line. Because once again, once again, women are here to bear the burdens of, of men. Yeah. <sighs> I mean... As far as I'm concerned, we're through the looking glass already. So, if you want to give it to that extra in a in a speaking role, I don't think I don't think I have anything because that I could it, it just it's, suggest in its stead. It just it just it's just an extra nail in the coffin, isn't it? Really, it's just it's just there for Aggie to overhear when that's, something she already kind of feels guilty about. That's her. Boring moment of the week. Be better. I quite enjoyed it this week. I mean, I was infuriated by lots of it, and everyone does suck in a number of storylines, but well, I no, quite enjoyed it. Because in the Max thing, Amy doesn't suck. Who else sucks in the show right now? Writing to tell us. We are thetalkersstreet at gmail.com, and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash thetalkersstreet. Check out the clicky-clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review <laughs> on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. I haven't had a rating or a review for for ages. Yo, do, do that Do now. that. Do that now. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.